Ruth chapter 1, and stand with me, if you would, one more time, Ruth chapter 1, and um, we're going to be in Ruth chapter 1 tonight, and Ruth chapter 2, and and a uh, short book, and uh, after, after tonight, I'd encourage you to maybe go read it sometime this week after we've been through it, and, um, but Ruth chapter 1, and we're going to read a little bit lengthy portion here just to get the setting of the, this book. It says, Now it came to pass in the days when the judges ruled, that there was a famine in the land, and a certain man of Bethlehem, Judah, went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. And the name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife Naomi, and the name of his two sons, Malon and Chilion, and Ephrathite of, of Bethlehem, Judah. <clears throat> and they came into the country of Moab and continued there. And Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left and her two sons. And they took them wives of the women of Moab. The name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other Ruth. And they dwelled about ten years. And Malon and Chilion died, also both of them, and the woman was, woman was left with her two sons and her husband was left of her two sons and her husband. Then she arose with her daughter-in-law that she might return from the country of Moab. For she had heard in the country of Moab how that the Lord had visited his people in giving them bread. Wherefore she went forth out of the place where she was and her two daughters-in-law with her. And they went on the way to return unto the land of Judah. And Naomi said unto her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each to her mother's house, for the Lord deal kindly with you as ye have dealt with the dead and with me. Lord, grant you that ye may find rest, each of you in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voice and wept. And they said unto her, Surely we will return with thee unto thy people. And Naomi said, Turn again, my daughters, why will ye go with me? Are there yet any more sons in my womb, that they may be your husbands? Turn again, my daughters, go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, if I should have an husband also tonight and should also bear sons, would ye tarry for them till they were grown? Would ye stay for them from having husbands? Nay, my daughters, for it grieveth me much for your sake that the hand of the Lord is gone out against me. And they lifted up their voice and wept again, and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law. But Ruth clave unto her, and she said, Behold, thy sister-in-law has gone back unto her people and unto her gods. Return thou after thy sister-in-law. And Ruth said, Entreat me not to leave thee, or to return from following after thee. For whither thou goest, I will go, and where thou lodgest, I will lodge. Thy people shall be my people, and thy God my God. And, when there, when, and where, thou, where thou diest will I die, and there will I be buried. The Lord do so to me, and more also, if I ought but, depart, but part thee and me. When she saw that she was steadfastly minded to go with her, then she left speaking unto her. Lord, we love you and we thank you for the scripture. And Lord, I pray that as we look to the book of Ruth, we'd see our Redeemer, that we'd see our Lord Jesus Christ. And Lord, what you have done for us, we'd see the call of your son to you. And uh, Lord, I pray that we would be encouraged from your word tonight and we'd gain a better understanding of the scripture. But Lord, also we grow in grace tonight. We love you and we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Proverbs 31 and verse 10 says the, makes a statement, who can find a virtuous woman? In Ruth chapter 3.11, Boaz would say of Ruth uh, that she was a virtuous woman. As a matter of fact, it's the only time in Scripture where that's attributed to someone specifically is that Boaz would call her then say that the people knew that she was, a, she was a virtuous woman. This was Ruth the Moabitess. This was someone who, if you will, was a, was a pagan. She had come out of Moab. She had served those gods. And, and, um, and yet the Lord would redeem her, would call her to him. And uh, this passage of Scripture, an incredible picture of what the Lord Jesus Christ does in redeeming us to him. And Ruth, 
uh, is that picture of one that has been redeemed. Boaz, the picture of the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who redeemed us. And his knowledge, as you read the book of Ruth, you'll find out Boaz was a just man, was a good man, was a mighty man, was a wealthy man. He was a man who knew the law when it came to her, uh, to, uh, to uh, redeeming the property and, and bringing uh, Ruth in. He knew what the law said and he obeyed the law. He fulfilled the law. It's a great picture of the Lord Jesus Christ that he fulfilled the law, isn't he? The only one who could keep and perfectly fulfill the law. You and I face an eternity separated from the Lord for the wages of sin is death. There's a consequence for sin, but the Lord Jesus Christ, sin had never touched him. Uh, he, was, he, was, he was tempted in all points as we are like, yet without sin, no sin in his life. And he redeemed us because of who he was. And in this passage of the scripture, we get an earthly picture, a, a picture in law. One of the things I love about the Old Testament is those portraits of grace that God gives us. Uh, if you read the book of Hebrews, you'll see a phrase used a couple times, just a shadow of things to come, that the Old Testament law was just a little shadow, a little glimpse of what you and I get to live every day of our life and how Christ fulfilled it. And in this book, we get a shadow, a picture of the Lord's redeeming grace uh, that this man would really, uh, there was someone else, if we, and we come to it later, if I had time, I'd read the whole book and go through each of it, but there was someone who was actually closer to, to, to in terms of the one to be able to redeem her than Boaz. And if you remember the story, he said, before I can take you to my wife and purchase the property and redeem you to, to my home, I have to go to this other person. Of course, he rejected it. He didn't want to mar his inheritance, his name and his inheritance. So the process went and it was passed on to, to Boaz. But the Lord Jesus Christ took us a sinner, didn't he? took us in sin, from our sin and redeemed us and made a people unto himself. And it's an incredible picture of the redeeming grace of God that you have in this book. The key verses of this book are Ruth chapter 2 and verse 12 where it says, The Lord recompense thy work, and a full reward be given thee of the Lord God of Israel, under whose wings thou art come to what? Trust. Under whose wings thou art come to trust. For by grace are ye saved through what? faith and that not of yourselves but the gift of God not of works lest any man should boast boy the key God's grace does a redeeming work but faith is the doorway to God's redeeming grace isn't it the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared unto all men and it's readily available to all but the Bible says for by grace are ye saved through faith and we see we see in this passage of scripture the trust and where, where Ruth decided to place her trust, even as she came out from the Moabites, that, her, that Naomi's God would become her God, and you see that. And then, of course, you see in Ruth chapter 3 and 18, another one. Then she said, Sit still, my daughter, until thou know how the matter will fall. For the man will not be in rest until he hath finished the thing this day. As Boaz would go to do his work and that he might take Ruth to be his wife, uh, Naomi would say, the man won't rest until he's finished the work. I think of John chapter 19 when the Lord would say those words on the cross, it is finished. What well, God did, finished his work to redeem us, right? And what an incredible thing. I love Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 3 where it talks about when he had by himself purged our sins and sat down at the right hand of God, that the Lord Jesus Christ all by himself purged our, us of our sins. Nobody helped him, all right? There's no working for your salvation, all right? God did it all. He finished it. And then he sat down. I like that incredible picture. He, you sit down when you're finished with something, don't you? The Lord finished the work at Calvary, did his redeeming work, and he sat down 
And there's coming a day when he's standing back up, by the way, friend, and when he's coming back for you and I. But an incredible picture of, of redemption, the key verses that Boaz would do the work, but Ruth would trust in what Boaz was going to do. God's redeeming grace. God has done it all, and we just simply trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Key verses of this book. The purpose of the book, obviously, as I've stated already, the book of Ruth is one of the most beautiful stories ever told. The height towards which the whole book moves is the birth of a baby in Bethlehem as Ruth would be in the line to, uh, to David and uh, would have that child that would, uh, in her family line, would lead to David. And not only from David, but to you and I, another little one born in Bethlehem, and his name was Jesus, amen. Uh, she would be in that line. It provides the vital link between the days of the judges and the coming of David. As a matter of fact, this book of Ruth is set during the time of the judges. Just last week, we looked at judges, and what a dark time that was. Uh, the book of Judges is one of those up and down books, up and down books, and really shows how low the people of God would sink. It's, uh, at times, it's incredibly uplifting, and times, it's incredibly discouraging. And the book of Ruth is set during that time. It's set during that time. And God never, and it, what's amazing is there's this man in Boaz who knew the law and walked with God in a dark time. Friend, God never leaves himself without a witness, without a remnant. There's always a people of God at work. I think how the Bible speaks of the end times or as we approach that day, it'll wax worse and worse. And some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits. But friend, I'll tell you something. There's some who remain faithful. Our goal and our desire is to be among the faithful at his coming to be among those faithfully serving God and, and living for Him and trusting in Him and living for Him. And I think of in Matthew, the Lord says that when He returns, will He find faith in the earth? And He's not talking about some willy-nilly, warm, fuzzy feeling. He's talking about a faith and a practice in the Word of God. Will He find it? Those believing in His Scripture and standing upon His promises. And God leaves some, He always has some, standing upon the promises of God, trusting Him and, and moving forward. And we see that in Boaz, this setting. As a result of that, we get a good picture of the Lord Jesus Christ and His ability to redeem us. We see Jesus in this book, the kinsman redeemer. Uh, the Messiah would be a descendant of Boaz and Ruth. And you see that if you read Ruth chapter 4, verses 12 through 17. And we see Christ typified in the life of Boaz. I, I like how John Phillips divided the book in his outline. The first thing he mentioned was the backslider. And he begins the book as he breaks it down with the backsliders and Elimelech and Naomi and his two sons that backslid away from the Lord and ended up in Moab and all the, all the things that happened as they moved away from God and into the pagan land. And then he says the believer and he highlights uh, the, what, about my, Ni or Ruth and how she had put her trust in the Lord and left everything behind to follow Naomi into, uh, into Israel, into Bethlehem and to follow the Lord. And then he would say the bridegroom. And he would use the illustration of the bridegroom there and Boaz as the bridegroom and as the redeemer. Friend, we have an incredible bridegroom. We have an incredible bridegroom in the Lord Jesus Christ who would sacrifice himself for, him, for, for us and redeem unto us a, a peculiar people zealous of good works who would live for him and look for his return. We see a picture of that. A backsliding people, a believing lady, and a bridegroom provided to redeem her into the family of Israel. It's an incredible portrait of what God has done for us. Here's a little bit of an outline of the book, The Sorrow. We see Ruth 
weeping in the beginning of the book in chapter 1, and there's a little bit of a breakdown there, and I, I won't linger here, but we see her service as she would work in the fields and the harvest, uh, and we see her submission as she would wait on Boaz and, uh, and all that was coming about there, and then finally her satisfaction, the wedding that would come, and the child that God would give them, and just from beginning to end, we see a backslidden people, a pagan woman brought along to trust the Lord and God redeeming her and bringing her into the family of God and putting her in the line of Christ. What God does in a life. Uh, friend, it's, it's on the pages of the book of Ruth, but if you look around for long, you'll see God is still doing the same thing, isn't he? He's still bringing people out of their sin, changing their life, and it's all because of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, look at Ruth chapter 2, and here's where I want to be for the, the, the message tonight. Ruth chapter 2 and verse 8. Just redeemed. Look at verse 8. Then said Boaz unto Ruth, Hearest thou not, my daughter? Go not to glean in another field, neither go from hence. But abide here fast by my maidens. Let thine eyes be on the field that they do reap, and go thou after them, and have, have not I charged the young men that they shall not touch thee, and... When thou art athirst, go unto the vessels and drink of that which the young men have drawn. Then she fell on her face and bowed herself to the ground and said unto him, Why have I found grace in thine eyes that thou shouldest take knowledge of me, seeing I am a stranger? You ever feel that way before the Lord? Lord, why, why have I found grace in thy eyes that thou, thou shouldest take knowledge of me? I'm reminded of the Psalms that said, What is man that thou art mindful of him? Boaz, and Boaz answered, and said unto her, It hath fully been showed me in all that thou hast done unto thy mother-in-law since the death of thine husband, and how thou hast left thy father and thy mother in the land of thy nativity, and art come unto a people which thou knewest not heretofore. The Lord recompense thy work, and a full reward be given of the Lord God of Israel, under whose wings thou art come to trust. Her trust had changed her life, hadn't it? Her trust had changed her life. God did an incredible work. He redeemed her. I think of that moment, how, how it must have been. And you know the story as she would come to, as she would come and into the field and do the gleaning. And as you know, the law was that as they would harvest the field, they were to leave the corners available and leave certain things for those who would come behind and glean who didn't have much and the widows. And here is his roof. She would come behind. And I don't remember the exact measurements, but if you were to read the story, you'd, you'd see she's coming along and gleaning a little bit. Boaz would come to her and, and he would tell her, I want you to take this much. And she would take it. You know, I, I wish I had time to read the whole book here, but you would find that Boaz gave her 10 times the amount that was, that it was commanded by law, 10 times. He gave her so much more than even the law called for. And I think of the blessings of God, how much more he gives than we fully deserve. Ever, I hope you take time looking back at this last year. And, and I promise you this, even if it had some difficult moments, as you look back, you'll find a very rewarding and gracious God. If you look back over the course of life, you'll find a God who gives us so much more than we have ever deserved the good and graciousness of God, but he would redeem her. I think of what this redemption looked like. I think of when it comes to you and I in 1 Peter 1, 18 through 20, it says, For as much as ye know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation, redeemed, re received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you to be purchased back. In two verses here, I want to look a little bit about what this redemption meant to her. In some of this statement, there was a few things that Boaz would ask of her, four different things. And the first thing we see is separation. Look at verse eight. It says, then said Boaz unto Ruth, hearest thou not my daughter, go not to glean 
in another field. Go not to glean in another field. One of the things, as of course of this redemption, Boaz would look at her and said, I don't want you going off to someone else's field. I want you to stay right here where you're at. I want you to stay right here and glean from this field. 1 Peter 2, 9 through 12 tells us this. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people. That you should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, which in times past were not a people, but are now the people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Dearly beloved, I beseech you as stranger and as pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul, having your conversation honest among the Gentiles, that whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works which they shall behold glorify God in the day of visitation. He would, tell, he would tell Ruth, don't go into any other field. I want you to stay in this field, in my field, and glean from what is here. And as you know, the story of redemption, that a redeemed means to be purchased, that he would go through the pot process of purchasing the inheritance of her family and taking her to be his wife and all that would come along with that. But it was a picture of don't go back where you came from. Don't go back where you came from. Stay in my field. I think how this book begins. I think of how the book begins. You know, we, we, we jump straight to Ruth, but the book begins with someone getting out of the field, doesn't it? The book begins with Elimelech. Famine hits the land of Israel, and Elimelech, the, the father, says, it's, it's time for us to go. We're going to leave the people of God. We're going to go down to the Moabites. We're going to go down to the Moabites. And he would take his wife, who would agree, and get up and go. And he would take his two boys down with them into the land. And talk about this book starts with an incredibly sad story, doesn't it? Elimelech, he goes down to the Moabites into the world. And what happens to him there? He dies. (laughs) He dies. His two boys die as well. But before they die, they marry two pagans. Before they die, they marry two pagans. Two Moabites, and they marry them. Then they die <laughs> there in Moab. And finally, Naomi says, well, there's, I, I've lost, I, went out, I, I went out full, and I came home empty. Remember when she makes that statement? When she left, she thought she was leaving empty and going to go get full. But when she came back, she found out she had left full and was returning empty. Isn't that the way the world does it? They promise, they promise you to find, that you'll find everything you need in fullness. But really what they have is empty. It's empty. And as, she, and as he went down, he lost his sons. He lost his own life. And his wife came back bitter. Talk about bitter. I read the story and I'm encouraged by the testimony of Ruth. But I'm, I, I also think of this lady named Orpah. You know Orpah was coming back with her? Orpah was on the way back to the promised land. And do you know what Naomi told her? There's nothing for you among God's people. Go back to your gods. Go back to your gods. She condemned her to hell. She says, go back. Don't come with me. I don't have anything for you. The people don't have anything for you. There's nothing for you among God's people. There's nothing for you in following God. I'm going back here because it's all I got left. But you, you go back to your gods. Go back to your land. Boy, bitterness wrecks, doesn't it? She said, don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara. I'm bitter. I'm bitter. And her life, even in, in Ruth, I mean, let's be frank here. It wasn't, 
Ruth, she tried to push Ruth back. She tried, if it wasn't for Ruth's turning to trust in the Lord, Ruth would have gone back. And for, never, never, going to the world will take your testimony and turn it into something from pointing people to Christ to pointing people away. Bitterness wrecks and it destroys. It, 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 it just ruins. God's grace unfolds in this passage of Scripture. It, it unfolds in what he did in Ruth's life. To be frank, it, it, it unfolds in what he would do in Naomi's life in spite of her bitterness as, as her heart would change. But, but friend, I, I will tell you, Moab has nothing for you. Young Christian, I will tell you, the world has nothing for you. It will promise you fullness and it will leave you empty. It'll promise you joy and it'll leave you bitterness. It'll promise you fame and lead you to making you infamous and pointing people away from Christ. It's a horrible story, this first chapter, the way it unfolds. It's horrible. And, I, and I, we, we see that in this passage of Scripture. Just And yet, so here she comes, and she comes into the land of Boaz, and Boaz, Boaz, Boaz tells her this. Here's, here's redemption. Stay in my field. Don't go back. Can I tell you something, Christian? Don't go back. Redemption is a calling out of. It's a coming away from. We don't fit into the world anymore. I was reading about Abraham again this week, and I read when, when Sarah died, in the story when Sarah died, and Abraham needed a place to bury her. And Abraham told those folks, he said, I, I, I need to buy some property from you to bury my wife. He said, I'm just a stranger and a sojourner here. Uh, you read that passage of Scripture, and of course your mind leaps ahead to Hebrews chapter 11, where Abraham would be said of Abraham, he's just a stranger and a sojourner. Now, we think of Abraham, he's going to the earthly land that God has promised to him. But Abraham was following, going to an earthly place, but he wasn't really set on the earthly place. He was seeking a city whose builder and maker was God, Hebrews chapter 11. So even when he was walking in the land that God promised him, he looked at those around him and said, I don't belong here. I'm a stranger and a sojourner. Don't forget, Christian, you don't fit in here. Don't let this world's philosophies and ideas creep into your mind. Rely on God's word. Run with his word. And don't go back to the world. Grab its doctrines and hold them. Grab its practices and apply them. It's profitable for, for, for doctrine, for proof, for correction, and for, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect or complete, thoroughly furnished unto what? All. You've got to circle that one day in your Bible. All good works. There is no part of your life that the Bible doesn't apply to. Don't go back. But not only was this redemption bring about separation, but it also brought about sanctification. Look at what he says next here. He says, Go not and glean in another field, neither go, there, neither go from hence, but abide here, fast by my maidens. Abide here. He said, Don't go from my field. It wasn't about just about where he didn't want her to go, but where he wanted her to stay. That's sanctification, isn't it? It's, it's not just what we have come out of, but it's who we belong to. Skip ahead to chapter 3 and verse 1. It says, Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said unto her, My daughter, shall I not seek rest for thee, that it may be well with thee? And now is not Boaz of our kindred, with whose maidens thou wast. Behold, he winnoweth barley tonight in the threshing floor. 
Wash thyself therefore and anoint thee and put thy raiment upon thee and get thee down to the floor. But make not thyself known to the man until he shall have done eating and drinking. And it shall be when he lieth down that thou shalt mark the place where he shall lie and thou shalt go in and uncover his feet and lay thee down and he will tell thee what thou shalt do. And she said unto her, All that thou sayest unto me I will do. And she went down to the floor and did according to all that her mother-in-law had bade her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went down to lie down at the end of the heap of the corn. And she came softly and uncovered his feet and laid her down. And it came to pass at midnight that the man was afraid and turned himself. And behold, a woman lay at his feet. It's kind of a natural reaction right there. And, uh, and he said, Who art thou? And she answered, I am Ruth, thine handmaid. Spread therefore thy skirt over thine handmaid, for thou art a near kinsman. And he said, Blessed be thou the Lord, my daughter, for thou hast showed more kindness in the latter end than at the beginning. Inasmuch as thou followest not young men, whether poor or rich, and now, my daughter, fear not, I will do to thee all that thou requirest, for all the city of my people doth know that thou art a virtuous woman. Here it is. It wasn't just what she was leaving off, but what she was gaining. She said, it's not that I don't want to go back to Moab. Not only was he asking her not to go back to Moab, but he was asking her to stay and abide in his field. Stay with me. I think of the book of John, John chapter 15 and verses 3 through 5. Now you are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself except it abide in the vine, no more can ye except ye abide in me. I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me ye can do nothing. God said, it's not that I just want you to leave something behind. I want you to walk with me. I want you to belong to me. Separation is a call of the Lord to leave all of that behind. But sanctification is this. I belong to somebody else. I want to abide in his presence. I want to hear for his word. I want that filling of his spirit in my life, the love, the joy, the peace. I want the blessings of God. I want to know what it's like to have a relationship with the Lord. Joab was saying, come to my field, stay with me. And Ruth would make that decision. You're the kinsman redeemer. I want to spend the rest of my life with you as she would go to him. And it was a matter of where she lived, not just what she left off. Christian, I will tell you something. Redemption and your salvation wasn't just what you left off. It's what you live. It's not about just leaving behind something. It's about what you gain in your Christian life. We're not careful. We see everything about what we leave off and not about what we've gained. Friend, it's an incredible privilege to get up and walk with God in his word. It's an incredible privilege to know that I can walk through the day and at any moment I can pray and my God hears me. At any moment I can spend time, I can have him speak to my heart in a message or in a lesson or uh, as I read my Bible, as I go through the day to abide in the presence of God. I want to know his presence. When I'm walking through the day and I need his comfort, I want to find it. When I walk through the day and I need his love, I want to find it. When I'm going through the day and I need his joy, I want to find it. I want to walk and abide in the presence of God. And this redemption that he offered her wasn't just something to separate from the world, but to be sanctified and belong with him. Christian, you belong to the Lord. What an incredible thing to belong to the Lord. And it came at great expense. Not with silver and gold or earthly things, but with the precious blood of Christ. A precious blood. Then we see not only sanctification, but we see security that he offered her. Look at verse 9. Let thine eyes be on the field that they do reap, and go thou after them. Have I not charged the young men that they shall not touch thee? 
Boaz was saying, you have my protection. You have my, my safety. I'm thankful that we belong to the Lord. Friend, you put your trust in Christ, God's watching over you. I think when it comes to salvation, you cannot lose it. In whom you also trusted, after that you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. In whom also after that you believed, you are sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance, under the redemption of the purchased possession, under the praise of his glory. We've been sealed, friend. We've been sanctified. We've been set apart. We've been redeemed. Until he calls us home, we are his. Philippians chapter 1 and verse 6 says this, Being confident of this very thing, which he hath begun a good work in you, will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. He said, Stay in my field, because as long as you're here, you have my safety in my field. Stay in this field, because it's where safety's at. I'm going to watch out for you, and my young men are going to watch over you. There is a protection that God offers. I love the verse, but Romans chapter 8 and verse 28, you know the verse. All things work together for good to them that love God, to them that are called according to his what? His purpose. You know, everything that God allows into our life, he's allowing, and it's going to work to our good. And verse 29 tells us what that good is, that we be conformed to the image of his dear son. God's working in our life. Everything that God allows in our life, he's using, produce us, and make us more like Christ. The things that you don't like, the things that right now you sit down, I wish this were different. I wish, wish it weren't happening. Do you know God intends to use that to make you more like him? The things that you were wish where you were gone from your life, but God won't let them go. God's using it to make them more like you. And I have God's protection. There are things we walk into life, we can't even control them from happening. Now, I'll tell you what, sometimes we walk out of his field, don't we? And we find things coming our way because we stepped out of his field in the first place and now we're reaping what we've sown. But we're still his child. We're still his child. God watches over. I, I was reading the story of Abraham this week again. And boy, Abraham is that, we, we almost call him the father of faith sometimes, don't we? What an incredible example of faith. But Abraham was not a perfect man. <laughs> Get up out of the land of thy birth and follow me. And surely he did. And he went to Bethel and built an altar unto the Lord. And then famine hit the land. And guess where he went? Egypt. <laughs> He went down to Egypt. He got down there in Egypt and he lied about his wife, said, it's my sister. I just can never wrap my hand, mind around that one. All right, but it's my sister. And you know the circumstance, he had to get up and leave. And where did he go? He went back to Bethel and he'd get back close to the Lord again. Then he would doubt God and he would take Hagar to wife. Over and over again, up back and forth, he would, he would go. But God still worked in Abraham's life. Still worked in his life. Read the story. Don't read a chapter time. Read the whole story of Abraham from beginning to end and be amazed at what God does. Don't piecemeal it. And we find God's protection in our life. Here he said, stay in my vineyard. You, you belong to me. Redemption is not only what we leave behind and the one we abide, but it's a safety and what he does in our life as we follow him. I'm thankful that I don't know what tomorrow holds, but he knows what tomorrow holds. And as long as I'm following him, I am in good hands. Good hands. Even when I don't like it, even when I don't understand it, even if it was in my hand, I would change it. Yet God hasn't. But he provides. And he blesses and he protects. And as he takes me through it, he makes me more like him. He makes us more like him. You mark it down, the thing tonight that you wish were gone from your life, but God won't take away. God will use it in your life if you stay in his field and you let him work. God changes. And then finally we see this. We see satisfaction that's offered in verse 9 again. 
Let thine eyes be on the field that they do reap, and go thou after them. Have not I charged the young men that they shall not touch thee? And when thou art athirst, go unto the vessels and drink of that which the young men have drawn. When thou art athirst, when thou art athirst, go unto the vessels and drink of that which the young men have drawn. Boy, there was provision there. There was satisfaction. Hey, whenever you're thirsty, go drink to your heart's content. Uh, kind of reminds you a little bit of a New Testament story, doesn't it? The woman at the well, when the great Redeemer went to her and said, I'll give you water and you'll never thirst again. Ruth, if you get thirsty, right there. Stay in my field. There is satisfaction from the Lord. Incredible satisfaction that only Christ can provide. I think of the fruit of the Spirit when I think of satisfaction. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, Peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Boy, if you were experiencing all those things in your heart right now, I would say you could sum it up with the word satisfied. Satisfied. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is what? Light. Satisfaction. He looked at Ruth and said, I have satisfaction for you. Go back to the beginning of the book again, Elimelech, right? There was famine in the land. It got difficult. He got his eyes off of the Lord and off the promised land. Started looking down to the Moabites. You know how the Moabites came about? I just read the story. It's not, not a very good one, right? It's not really a PG story either. <laughs> that story in the book of Genesis and... Lord sent two angels, or sent some angels down to Sodom and Gomorrah and told Lot. Of course, you know, there weren't even ten righteous. Abraham interceded, but Lot got up and the angels brought him out. And uh, Lot's wife looked back at Sodom as it burned and she turned to a pillar of salt. Her heart was set on Sodom and Gomorrah. But Lot escaped. Some of his daughters died in Sodom and Gomorrah. He was there, vexed with the filthy conversation of the wicked, but never did anything about it. He stayed. Lost his children, lost his sons-in-law, lost his wife, and he came out with two children, two of his daughters, and he fled from the scene, and they got up into the hills, and they thought there was nothing left. One of the sad stories, I was reading that this week again, and one of the sad stories is when they lost Sodom and Gomorrah, Lot's daughters thought they lost everything. Can I ask you something, Christian? If you lost the things of this world, would you think you lost everything? Christian, if we lost, lost everything in this world, we have lost nothing. We're not living for what's here. Some people, I I tell you, are so caught up with the things of this world, they'd be like Lot's children. They lost the things of this world, they'd be in trouble. Because they'd think, I mean, Sodom and Gomorrah burnt, and they thought everything was gone. And so they had uh, an immoral relationship with their father. They got him drunk, should have never been able to happen. Got him drunk, lay with him, and had a child, and that child was Moab. Born out, one of them was, and born out of that, born out of a lack of trust. A lack of trust. And Elimelech runs down to Moab, a nation born out of a lack of trust. And you know what he finds in Moab? What was always in that Moab? Emptiness. Loses everything. I will tell you what you'll find in the Lord. Fullness. A fullness that only he can provide. But as long as you're looking to Moab, 
you're going to be empty. And as long as you're looking to the Lord, you'll find fullness. And the Redeemer looks at her and he says, stay in my field. Leave off of all that. Don't go to anybody else's field. Don't go find in there. You stay here. Separated from all of that. But belonging, sanctified to me. And she would follow him through that. And then he'd say, and look, if you, if you look around you, I've told my men to watch out for you. You're going to find safety here. And that's something only Christ can provide. Nobody else can provide it. We strive to do that. But I'll be frank, I pray daily for my children. When I pray for them, I'm praying, Lord, keep them from harm. Because as much as it's my job to protect them and watch over them the best as I can, there are some things of life that are far beyond my control, aren't they? In reality, the only one who can provide safety is God. And Dad, if you don't recognize that, you're doing your family a disservice. You better be on your knees because only God can do it. But then we find here satisfaction. Satisfaction. To know what it is to be satisfied. And I would ask you, Christian, are you satisfied? Are you full? Are you in love with the Lord? Peace, joy, gentleness, long-suffering, peace. Are you satisfied? I will tell you, only Christ can provide satisfaction. Only Christ. You've got to get your eyes off of Moab and the world and its emptiness and put your eyes on the Redeemer, the Lord Jesus Christ. And I, I tell you, and I'm going to finish with this because it's an amazing thing. When this happened, verse 10, then she fell on her face and bowed herself to the ground and said unto him, why have I found grace in thine eyes? Thou shouldest take knowledge of me, seeing I am a stranger. Can I tell you something, Christian? Fall on your face a little bit. Why, Lord? Would you offer me separation from all that? I know a lot of folks living out there and their life is messed up. Why would you allow me to have it? Or why would you consider me to make me your own? That you and I could pray just a few moments ago and know that we entered boldly into his presence. Why would you invite me to dwell with you? Why? Would you give me your safety and your security? Why would you provide me with, with your satisfaction? For God so loved. For God so loved. Don't ask me to explain why he loves. All that I can tell you is that he does. Because I don't get it sometimes. Why he loves. I just know that he does. And here it is, she saw his blessing and she fell and said, why would you do this? And I think a good place for a Christian to be on a regular basis is on their knees saying, Lord, I don't get it, why you would, but thank you. Moab doesn't have it, the world doesn't have it, but you do. The satisfaction, the security, the sanctification, the separation that I belong to the Lord. Let's pray together. Lord, I love you and I thank you so much for the scripture. What an incredible book. What an incredible passage. I pray that we carry it with us this week. We would be reminded of what you've given us through your son, Jesus Christ, to be redeemed. What an incredible Old Testament picture uh, that we could see what the Lord Jesus would do for us a little bit in this book of Ruth. And I pray that it'd be on our mind all week long as we go about our week, that our mind would be upon our Redeemer and upon our Savior and what he's done for us. 
Lord, as we put on that helmet of salvation, that we would meditate upon the incredible redemption that we have through your son, Jesus Christ. And that redemption would remind us to draw near to the Lord, to let our lives be shaped and transformed by, by your wonderful grace. Lord, that we would look to the things that we are going through in life and we would be reminded that you've allowed it. Lord, if you've allowed it, you can use it to make us more like our Lord. Heads bowed and eyes closed. Let me just ask you, first of all, I, I trusted Christ on a Wednesday night, as you know already. So let me ask you this. Do you know Christ? Do you know the Lord? How many of you could say, preacher, this evening, I, I know that if I died right now, I'd be with him because I know the Lord. There was a time when I trusted Christ. If that's your testimony, would you just raise your hand? Preacher, I know that I'm saved on my way to heaven. That's settled for me. Thank you. you may put your hand down. Is there anybody say, preacher, I'm unsure about that? I, I don't know it. Maybe you know all about him, but you wouldn't say that you know him personally. You'd say, preacher, I want to come to know him tonight. Is there anybody like that? You'd raise your hand so that I could pray for you. Is there anybody like that? You'd say, preacher, pray for me. Let me ask you this then, Christian. How many of you say, preacher, the Lord has spoken to my heart. As a reminder of what the Lord has. Maybe you're looking in the wrong place like a Limelech to find satisfaction or whatever it may be. And the Lord just drew your attention back. Maybe it was just to make you pause and say, Lord, why would you do this for me? Thank you for your love. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your redemption. But you say, preacher, the Lord has spoken to my heart this evening. Would you raise your hand as a testimony? And would you stand with me as that pianist begins to play? An opportunity to pray is given. And spend time with the Lord. Maybe just fall on your face a little bit and thank Him for salvation. For His redemption. Maybe you're like me and you look back a little bit and you say, Lord, I just don't get why. But I'm thankful that you do. But as God has spoken to your heart this evening, do business with Him.